It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Nance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. This is Austin Peterson, your host here as always, coming to you live from the Business Radio X studios here in Tempe, Arizona. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast and you're wondering what it is that we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, we're a podcast put together by small business owners for small business owners. So about two years ago, May of 2020, my partner and I, Landon Mance, decided to uh, launch this podcast because we believe that the backbone of the American economy is the small business owner. And we wanted an opportunity to highlight those small businesses. And shortly thereafter, we were joined by some strategic partners, Gary Braun with Pivotal Advisors and Ryan Weissmuller uh, of Fintrepid Solutions. And so we've uh, been doing this, like I said, almost two years now, or a little over two years, I should say now. And today is episode 105. And we've got uh, definitely a true tycoon with us here in the studio today. We've got Brad Levitt, president and founder of A Finer Touch Construction here in Arizona. Brad, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited. And and Gary, officially welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thank you. It, it, Always fun to be back. Yeah. Have we reached the 70s yet in Minnesota or is it still in the 50s? Right there. Right there. If, if we can hold right here at 70 and sunny, I'm a happy guy. Yeah, I, I would be a happy guy at sunny <laughs> and 72. It's 97 today, which is actually down from 105 yesterday. So we'll take it, right, Brad? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's been a little warm this week. So yeah, absolutely. So Brad, before we jump into the business side of things, we always like to ask our guests to tell tell us a little bit about themselves personally. So tell us where you grew up. Tell us, you know, are you married? Do you have children? What does your family life look like? Did you go to college? Let's start there. Yeah, so I grew up in San Diego. Uh, I'm the oldest of six kids. My dad, I mean, my, my grandfather was in the Navy and you know, ended up retiring in San Diego like many uh, Navy personnel and military do uh, in the San Diego area. And he started an electrical company and he had six boys and they're all electricians. So I grew up in the trades, uh, working as an electrician in some amazing projects from Coronado to Rancho Santa Fe and, and La Jolla and all throughout. And, uh, you know, I always had a desire to get into that like custom world, right? And didn't realize how much of an entrepreneur I was at the time, even though that kind of runs in the family, essentially, you know, with my grandfather starting his company and was married. I moved or I, I went to college at BYU in Utah, did construction management up there. And uh, upon graduation in 2005, was filling some offers at that time. You know, in 2005, it was great to be in construction, <laughs> you know, nationally. <laughs> Little did we know what was about to take place about a year and a half later. But long story short, moved to Arizona, uh, been here since 05, started my company nine years ago, Finer Touch, as you mentioned. So started officially in March of 2013. And I have six children, five daughters and a son. My oldest daughter is 18 now. She just graduated from Eve at last night, you know, in cosmetology. Oh, wow. And she's going to be, uh, she graduated with her license in cosmetology to work in a hair salon. And she graduated high school next week. And our youngest will be in kindergarten next fall. So we're pretty busy. Wow. That is quite the span. So we've got all the way from 18 to it sounds like to five. four, almost five. Yeah. Yeah. So. So you've, you've essentially covered every <laughs> section of yeah. school. 
we have preschool, elementary, middle, and high school all right now. So, I mean, next year it's, it, you know, we'll have college to kindergarten. So it's pretty busy. Yeah. So you, you got to tell me, where does the boy fall in? He's number five of the six and he just turned six not too long ago. So he's, you know, he's, he's definitely all boy. It's a lot of fun. You know, I, for, you know, for me, I've gotten into golf, you know, now that I'm older, a lot of my clients play. And so I put him in golf lessons at Top Golf, which he loves and, you know, loves basketball. I love basketball as well. I still play. And so it's fun, like to have those hobbies where he does gravitate towards that a little bit more. And it's a, it's a good, a lot, good outlet, you know, from his sisters to take good care of him. But sometimes he needs that dad time, you know, so. I was just going to ask, do the sisters just dote on him? Yeah, they're so great with them. They're they're like the sweetest sisters he could have. I mean, for a little brother to have four older sisters that are tremendously sweet, especially the older ones in high school and stuff. I mean, they're just so good to him, but it's good for him to like, you know, he's he's around all the fun girl stuff at home and it's good when dad gets home and gets to wrestle with him a little bit. So <laughs> Yeah. So so my wife is actually one of six girls. Oh wow. And wow. one boy in, in their family. And and the boy falls smack dab in the or no, actually not smack dab in the middle. There's Four girls, then him, and then two more girls. Yeah. And my, my wife is the youngest, but uh, it, it was interesting. So I, I'm sure that when he was younger, the the older sisters were really good about, you know, kind of taking care of him. But I've heard stories now. So my wife and I have been married almost 25 years. And uh, <laughs> I've heard stories about when he was getting into the teenage years that his older sisters were pretty rough on him to try to make sure that he wasn't the way that she put it, you know, this is her, her older sister. That's kind of, you know, no filter says whatever she wants. She, she didn't want him to grow up and be girly. He'd be a girly man. <laughs> right? And so she would beat on him to make sure that he wasn't a feminine man, if you will, which today is of course not politically correct, but right. that was, that was what his life was like. Oh, that's amazing. Did they grow up here as well? Southern California. Orange okay. County. Yeah. 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 So, and, and I actually grew up in Provo, Utah. So okay. I'm, I'm a lifelong BYU fan. I got my MBA at BYU. Okay. And, um, I, I did my undergrad at Cal State Fullerton. So good school. Very, very well uh, versed in Southern California as well. Oh yeah. Right by yeah. Disneyland, you know, good baseball school there at Cal State. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would love to tell you that I was good enough to play baseball <laughs> for Cal State Fullerton. I grew up playing baseball. I love it. I'm I would say that I'm a, an average baseball player, but definitely not good enough to play for a championship team at uh, Cal State Fullerton. Oh, yeah. So, so, so Brad, you, you grew up in the San Diego Coronado area. But, uh, what would brought you out to the Scottsdale area? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I going back to, you know, coming out of school at a very good time in the economy, right? There were a lot of offers. You know, I, I, I just did not do well in the cold. I mean, Utah for me, which is pretty mild, I guess, considering, you know, winter climate and, uh, it was too cold for me coming from San Diego. I definitely had no interest going, you know, to Midwest or Northeast. Um, and so I was really looking at warmer climates, you know, Texas, Las Vegas, Arizona, California, and Florida were really what I was targeting, you know, good, good growth areas. You know, I kind of danced between commercial and residential. I wasn't sure which direction to go out of college, even though the the programs catered to commercial. And it just, there, there was a fit here in Arizona that just, it was close to home, you know, cost of living in Southern California. Even at that time, I mean, now it's just crazy. But back then it was just really hard to be, you know, young father. You know, I had my oldest daughter who's now graduated. I mean, she was born when I was in college there. So just trying to get through that whole next stage of life, you know, Arizona was just a great fit and uh, super grateful I made that decision because it's, it's what it had, it's what had to happen. So, yeah. So you guys moved here in, what was it? 2005? Yeah, August of 05. I, I finished my summer term and then moved here that summer. 
Yeah. So we moved here in the summer too, which, you know, is good and bad. I, yeah. mean, I think you get the shock over with, <laughs> yeah. but when you arrive, it, it's, it's a little breathtaking, you know, it's like someone opened the oven, but yeah. Yeah. We, we arrived on, I believe it was July 7th. Oh yeah. That's you know, the worst time. We, so. we got here at like eight o'clock at night. I mean, it was hotter then than it had been that right. morning or I mean, you know, during the hottest part of the day in Utah, we were moving from as well trying to find somebody to help you unload your truck, which wasn't, I mean, everybody's out of the state in <laughs> July, if at all possible. So that it was, uh, it was a little rough. So, well, let's, so let's talk about a finer touch. I mm -hmm. mean, tell us, so you dance between commercial and residential, you list as, you know, commercial and residential, but you do mostly residential now, mostly commercial. What does it look like? Oh, uh, that's a really good question. You know, that pivot's changed a little bit. And I think this really goes into the kind of stage of the economy right now. So just a quick background, you know, I was fortunate to work at, you know, out of college and re uh, production, right? Residential, you know, production homes, because, you know, kind of get my feet wet. So that was good from just like a scheduling and organizational standpoint. But I was only there a year because I want to get in custom. I was fortunate to be hired at a company that was building the Omni Model C in Paradise Valley. And for those that know that area, Lincoln and Tatum, there's a $350 million hotel resort there. It used to be La Posada. Now it's Omni. A lot of celebrities, you know, President Obama stayed there. President Trump stayed there. It's a very amazing property. And what's neat about it is there's 34 custom homes on the property. And then you also have the commercial side. So you have some residences there. So just from an experience side, like it was really great to get that commercial experience, you know, especially working on a very complicated project with FF&E, right? As you're dealing with, you know, a hotel moving in and taking occupation or taking occupancy of the, of the property and then the residences, right? That are living there full time. And so I had good experience. So when I started my company, having lived through the recession, because this was 2008, nine that I was working at the hotel you know, it was really slim pickings in Arizona. I mean, it was really tough. And I, and I saw the company that I worked for, you kind of have their struggles. So when I started my company, I'm like, I'm going to do both because you still have to specialize as a small business owner, but you can still specialize and be versatile, right? In different fields. And so that was the whole intent. And, but what's interesting when I first started the company, it was definitely more heavy commercial than residential, but that pivot, you know, that pendulum changes a little bit, especially now I've been a little bit more reluctant you know, especially now in 2022 to take on as many commercial projects. The reason being is in the commercial world, it's very important to get that project open, whether it's a restaurant, a hotel, a business, you know, they're only making money if it's open. And with supply chain and labor constraints and mm -hmm. everything we're dealing with, it's very complex. And it's not that I'm averse to liquidated damages or having that in the contract. It's just, I understand the complexity behind it right now. Whereas the, you know, the residential side is flourishing, right? And so we've kind of pivoted and we have some amazing projects happening in town and some great clients. And so it, it's not that we still don't have that same deadline from our client, but it's just, it's a little bit more amicable, if you will, understanding the current climate that's out there. But, but what a different sales process between commercial and residential. I mean, the way businesses buy versus selling to, you know, a couple who want to buy that, that's going to be completely different. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up, Gary, because I mean, you think about the complexity of understanding your operation. I mean, that whole emotional roller coaster that the clients go through is totally different. And the planning process and really understanding that, no kidding aside, I mean, when you're working with a client that's spending this kind of money on a custom home, it, it's not that it's handholding, but there has to be a very dialed in approach right of that communication process because it's very emotional and there's a lot of dollars vested. It's a little bit different than the business owner that, hey, time's money. I need to get this open. And it's not that you're sacrificing quality, but the, the reality is they're not going to spend 60 grand on a powder bathroom. They're going to be, you know, optimizing that investment. And so you have to massage that relationship very different, not just from the trade partners and vendors we're using, but also from the client perspective. 
Yeah, I, I love your logo or your your little saying on there: saving marriages one <laughs> house at a time. Yeah, you, you got to have some good stories about building for some couples. Oh my goodness, I, I I don't know where to start or what I could share on it, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's a very emotional process. And what's amazing is I've used that tagline. I had some clients that uh, we did an interview. It's really cool. We did an interview for it's on my website. You probably saw that. And uh, in the video, you know, the wife said, you know, Brad saving marriages one house at a time, and so. We've, we've used that in our marketing, of course. And, but the reality is there's some truth to that. It's, you know, to be a really successful builder in construction, you have to understand just the psychology behind that emotional process. Because mm-hmm. think about, I mean, my process, our, our building projects are typically a year to year and a half in design and then two years of construction. I mean, this is a three, three and a half year commitment for our clients. So to have them engaged and to be a good steward of their investment in their project and just to communicate, it's really difficult. And it can, by not setting clear expectations, that can move very quickly and really create some, uh, some strife for both parties. Yeah, well, and, and on top of that, the reality is 99.9% of the clients that you have, this is the largest purchase that they will ever make. Right. Ever. Yep. And it is. And, and some of it, I mean, even if they're you know, we have some amazing clients and whether it's their primary residence or a secondary one, a lot of times our clients are coming from the Midwest and they may have a pretty, you know, by industry standards or, you know, a pretty standard or mid-sized home in, there in the Midwest. But this is kind of their joy. They've they've saved, they've worked, they've invested, and now they're building their vacation home. And it is nice. It's typically much nicer than the primary residence back in the Midwest. And so to that point, I mean, it is not a smaller amount that they're investing and they have to make sure that we're good stewards and at least very conscious of every dollar that goes into that project. Yeah. So here, here's the thing. This isn't going to shock you. The construction industry is known for being extremely poor at customer service, extremely poor, really pretty much across the board, everything, scheduling, <laughs> communication, anything you can think of. So what do you guys do that's different than, than most of your competitors to, to set yourself apart to where people are doing video testimonials that, that say Brad is saving you know, marriage is one house at a time. <laughs> I love they brought that up, Austin. I, you know, I feel when I started my company, I mean, it's low hanging fruit there for whatever reason, as contractors, uh, and, and I'll just speak to it before getting on the client perspective, but just as an industry, when I came in, I realized it's very cold. Contractors don't want to collaborate. They don't want to share how they price, you know, their systems. Like it's just this really, I don't want to say prehistoric, but just this approach that's like today in business, especially a small business owner, for you to be successful, Austin, or you, Gary, or myself, like we have to collaborate. I, you know, I'd rather learn from people that are doing the same sort of business all throughout the country. And social media has really helped bring that together. So I feel that there's a lot of processes there that I've gained just in our network, right? Through social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, and then some of the conferences. But as you get to the client specifically, you know, in relation to that communication side, it's low hanging fruit. There's a couple things. I had calling a client back, being receptive, answering them. And even if you don't have the answer, I'll have clients that call me and text me, hey, I don't know, I'll get back to you right away. I mean, just knowing that you're on the other side of the phone and they can relate to you is a huge part. And then something that's really similar is, you know, I had a client that at the end said, hey, Brad, you know, a little recommendation for you is keep the site clean, right? Because, you know, there it was a really well-managed and the communication was great, but there was just some debris. There was some sawdust in my driveway. And this was a remodel we did in Phoenix at the time you know, there's good feedback where I'm like, okay, well, there's again, low hanging fruit. And so fast forward, we had this amazing custom homer building. And, you know, after the framing process, we had this big roller magnet. And so I sent 
one of my assistant superintendents and he's roller magnet, you know, using the roller magnet around the house and he's picking up all the nails. And then we, sh so we showed the video of him walking around doing that. And then we showed the bucket of collection of like nails and screws and the amount of like, it went viral because the amount of feedback, you know, that's a pain point for our customer. Yeah. And they said, Brad, do you realize that when we moved in our home, like our kids stepped in a nail because, you know, they didn't pick it up and yeah. it was in the dirt or in the landscape. And so it's these little things where you realize it clicks. Like, you know, contractors aren't calling them back. So I already have a step up because I'm going to answer my phone. I'm always going to be available. I'm available through my social media channels. And being that half of our clients are out of state, that was a big thing. They said, Brad, like when we call you and we're interviewing, you're always responsible. You're always getting back to us. And it's, it's really not very difficult when you have the right people and systems in place. And then it just is a leg up because for whatever reason, our industry is really struggling with that and even more so today. So I'm really curious, most of the world right now is really struggling with uh, worker shortage. I mean, we just don't have enough labor to go around. Is that is that hitting the construction industry the same as others? And how are you dealing with that? Uh, another great question. And yeah, it's it's industry-wide, whether it's uh, in the restaurant industry or or travel or hospitality, as, as well as construction. And it's really bad at construction. We've had some movements like Keep Craft Alive nationally, which is you know, helping youth especially understand that you can have a wonderful uh, career in the trades, right? Whether it's plumbing, electrical, trim, carpentry, or even own a uh, general contracting business. There's this methodology mentality that everyone has to go to college, you have to get a four-year degree, and then, you know, that's your entry into some business. Well, that's great for some people and it's great for some occupations, but it's not great for everyone. So we've had this movement and then now it's been exacerbated by the economy. <laughs> like We're doing supply chain and everything that's going on. And so now... To your point, Gary, is that, well, how do we leverage that? And, and I'll just speak to some of the strategies we have that I'm open to share is that people don't realize how much of a connector social media is. And so LinkedIn, you know, what I found is especially the younger generation, there's this gap here of, you know, there's plumbers that are in their 50s and 60s that are leaving the industry, but there is a wave of younger ones that are seeing the opportunity there and coming in. And the young ones understand and they gravitate towards social media. So by us being active on those platforms, we're like my garage door company, Dan, he's a super young guy and he owns his own business doing all my garage doors. And so we're finding amazing talent pool that's helping us bridge that gap that otherwise, I don't know how I'd find them because, you know, whether you're trying to go, you know, we don't have Yellow Book anymore, which most of us grew up with, but, you know, you go some, through some sort of search engine on Google or Rolodex to try to, you know, but social media, I can, hey, talk to certain builders that I respect that trust me and say, hey, Brad, I can't keep this person busy myself. They're great. You use them as well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think so. Something that you hit that's really important is social media, right? For the younger generation that are growing up in, you know, junior high, high school, and they're deciding what they want to do. So two things I want to hit on. Social media is huge for them. They're spending a bunch of time on there. And so if you're trying to get people into your business or into your industry, you have to be on there. And, and second is this belief that you have to go to a four-year college. You have to get a four-year degree. If you want to be successful in this world, you need to do that, right? And so I, first, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you know Josh Zolan? I don't. Okay. So Josh Zolan's here local. He's going to be on our show again in a few weeks, but he was our very first guest on this podcast. And he wrote a book called Blue is the New White. And he's all over social media and it's pushing that exactly saying there's another way to make very, very good money and take pride in your work and do, you know, do something that you enjoy rather than feeling like you've got to go to college, potentially for most people going into quite a bit of debt to then come out on the other side and potentially not even work in that same area anyway. Right. And so 
I need to introduce you to him. He'd be a great guest for your podcast, by the way. We didn't even mention that you have your own <laughs> podcast. And so you guys should should get to know each other. But that's his whole mission, right? And he's building a great company too. They do restaurant equipment repair and, and service and sales and you know all that kind of stuff as well. And so he's definitely in the blue collar industry and they're building this business that's that's growing and, and doing great. But he really sees himself more as somebody who's pushing the trades as an alternative and that kids need to know that there is an alternative to college and that there's other ways to make a great living and contribute in this world. What I love about that is that, I mean, again, and I grew up in this industry where it's like, you got to go to college, right? You have to go to college. You need a four-year degree. Um, I was fortunate to do that. That's not for everybody. But the reality is, even with college, like not everybody is fit to be in an office or a desk or maybe a lawyer, doctor, whatever it may be, and blue, new, white, right? Blue collar to white collar. I said, yep. I, I would assume that's the intent there is that that blue collar, you can find a lot of success and where it was frowned upon. You know, I, I had people tell me, Brad, you're really going to con- like college for construction. Like, what are you doing? It doesn't make any sense. And so there's this mentality, but that's changed. And, and this is what I love about social media is, is two things is, is not only can you build a network, right? In a lot of ways, lead generation, collaboration, vendor support. I mean, we can dive down that channel. I could talk about that for hours, but, but the reality is with social media is now I can show at AFT, right? A final test construction. Here's the projects we're working on. Here's, you know, what I love about it is now with the video content, which is really valuable for any business is I can show video, not just drone footage, but I'm talking about actual video, of the projects, and here's the thought behind it. And here's how we're doing this process. And it really gauges interest. Like I have a lot of people reach out, like, I want to do that. And so you're creating this interest where people realize, this is really cool. And, and like Elon Musk says, we need engineers, we need builders, we need people doing things. Like there's so much satisfaction for me at the end of the day, I've worked in an office, I've been out in the field to be able to go in the field and see a project and drive by it. Like now I tell people I worked at the Omni and be able to go back and say, I worked on that project and see people living there. I've stayed there. I'm, I'm fortunate to be hosting. I'm part of a builder group, a mastermind group, and I'm hosting here in Scottsdale next March. And so I get to bring 20 of these executive builders all around the country building these amazing markets from Park City, you know, to Orlando, to upstate New York, to, you know, Los Angeles. And they're all coming here to Phoenix and we're staying at the Mar Lucia. And so now they get to see, and, and there, there's joy in that, right? To go to restaurants that I built. And so to that point is that there's, you know, social media has now bridged that. That people say, I can make money and I don't just have to go to a four-year degree. And to your point, Austin, debt's real. Like the cost of college now is completely absurd. And it's really hard. COVID really affected a lot of things with online education. A lot of us don't do well learning online through Zoom. It's just not as effective for most of us. And so the hands-on side, there's a ton of, ton of opportunity. You know, reach out, come into the trades, and the world's wide open for that. Yeah. You and know, we, I, I come at it always from the I'm a sales guy. So we're, we're always helping companies with sales and sales process and whatnot. And it's changed a ton over the last five to 10 years. And and I think about your industry, and a lot of it was you go to the home shows, you network with general contractors, you do all that, which which a lot of that stuff is still in place today. But how has it changed for you and the way that people buy or how you leverage things like social media and whatnot? How has your sales process changed? Oh, that's a really good question and perspective, Gary. And this is, you know, fortunately for me, and, and I'll just give a little background. When I started social media, I'm a fairly young guy. I start my company. It's very competitive in the market. You know, we're just coming out of a recession. This is 2013. And there's, I'm I'm competing against some very well-established brands. And the reality is, you know, and I'll just speak to like the business development lead generation side, is there were some top tier architects, designers that I wanted to work with in town, you know, some engineers. 
I'd call them, you know, traditional way you call them and reach out via email and they never return my call. They never return my email. That's just part of it because I'm like nothing to them. I don't, you know, I have no credibility. So the backdoor approach was, well, let's start posting what I do. Here's my thought process. Here's our quality. Here's our execution. Here's our site cleanliness. Mm -hmm. Here's these pain points that we're hitting. And that sparks something. Now these same architects never turn my call. Never turn my call. They're like, hey, Brad, can we meet for dinner? Can you talk to me about your social media strategy? Can you help me with ours? So now I'm providing value to them. Yeah, absolutely. Here's what I'm doing. You know, it's not algorithm techniques. It's just here's some processes. Here's how to, how to gauge this audience. Here's how to speak to them on these different demographics and platforms. Where now I'm providing value and they're like, okay, Brad, we're going to work together. We want your network exposed with our product, you know, and our design. And so now I'm working with these same architects who wouldn't return my call. I'm working with them now. And that's straight because of LinkedIn, right? And so now the customer side, as you mentioned, how, you know, whether you're marketing in print magazines, and which is very costly, or your tenant build shows, as you mentioned, Gary, well, it's different now. I can post stuff on Instagram and create silent salesmen. And, and really what that is are people that sell your brand that aren't on your payroll. So now I have all these people that are advocates of the AFT brand saying, hire Brad, come to Scottsdale. You know, this is who you need to hire. And now who would have thought that you're, gain, you're building five, six, seven million dollar homes from Instagram, that these people follow you on Instagram. They've been following you for two years and you could build this, really this, this culture and this personality behind it. And same as LinkedIn. So leads from LinkedIn and Instagram where the phone's now ringing and people want to work for, you know, have us work for them because they've been following us and they feel like they know us and we're a known entity to them. You know, you, you said something in there, very subtle, but it, it's a really important lesson for anybody in any industry is when you're trying to break in and you're trying to go to all these architects and these people, they had partners, they had people they were working with already. And that that's the status quo. And one of the hardest things to sell against is the status quo. But what you did that was really nuanced was, I always call it, you sold the problem. You sold the things that maybe they weren't satisfied with, with their current partners. You sold them the, the problems you were solving. When they listened to that, that's when they wanted to work with you, which it's a really subtle lesson in there. But that if you're breaking into any new market or new company or trying to grow after anything, you got to sell that problem first. It sounds like you did a wonderful job doing that. Well, to speak on that, Gary, what's interesting, I'll look at it from my perspective too. So I, I'm always a big proponent of never be super soliciting, super salesy in your social media, right? Don't, don't be out there saying, mm -hmm. this is what I do. Call me. Here's my number. Like, I, it, it's a total turnoff. Going to LinkedIn, what, what's amazing about LinkedIn is you can actually post your content and then anyone that likes and comments, their whole network sees it. So you can build this really organic yeah. network very quickly through Instagram or through LinkedIn. But what's amazing is that from my side, there are people that will connect with me on LinkedIn and then two seconds later, send me a DM. Hey, Brad, hire me. I got this product. I'm selling you. I, I mean, I get thousands of these. It's unbelievable. Sure. However, to your point, Gary, like the salespeople that for six months are following my content, they're liking my posts, they're engaging, they're commenting. Hey, this is really interesting. I like that you do this. I mean, whatever it may be, I'm seeing that. Like they may not think that, but I'm watching this stuff. Now they've built essentially a little friendship, even though it may be through social media. Now, when they come at me and say, hey, Brad, I think I might have something that you may want to look at or new technology, new product. I'm listening because it's not yeah. just this very cold. And it's the same thing with the architect that at, to, to your point, there's this value that they, they may have had their network, but there were pain points or they saw the writing on the wall or they saw the marketing or they saw the industry changing. Well, how can we pivot, right? As a company, we have to learn how to pivot our brands, right? We can't be comfortable where we are, so. Yeah, we've got to be comfortable pivoting our brands and also 
you know, the, the worst thing that any business owner could ever say is that's not the way we do things, right? <laughs> right? Like, well, okay, but let's, you know, let's consider it. Let's look at things a little bit differently. So I want to, I want to dig into that a little bit, but let's take a quick break. We're going to have a quick call to action for our listeners, and then we'll come back and unpack a little bit more about a finer touch construction. Hey there, Tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years and you'd like to know what your business is worth, Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right. Welcome back, Tycoons. Austin Peterson here with Brad Levitt and Gary Braun. We're talking about the construction industry. And if you're tuning in and you're in the construction industry or you're not, and you thought we were just going to be talking about, you know, building homes and framing and plumbing and electrical work, uh, that's really not what we're talking about. We're talking about kind of what what's going on in the construction industry today, where it is today compared to where it was, and kind of where we're going from here. And so, right before we were talking, right before the break, we were talking about you know LinkedIn and the way that you use LinkedIn and Instagram and the way that it's built your brand. But you know, it also kind of leads to what does the future hold, right? So let me let me kind of frame this for you. So we talked a little bit uh, towards the beginning about how the construction industry is very inefficient. It's, it's known as, as being so, and it's also known for, you know, very poor customer service. You know, I'll just speak for myself. I've, I've experienced this multiple times over the last year. We've done quite a bit of a remodel in our house personally, and I had somebody this week and it's a good company here locally. They're pretty well known. They're, they're on the Inc 5,000 list. They're growing like it, it's a good, you know, painting company. They walked in, the, the estimator walked in, very nice, very, you know, professional looking. Everything's great. I walk him around the house to show him what it is that I need done. And he's taking a, a few notes, but he never measured anything. Not one thing, right? And so I'm showing him, you know, I need these doors. I need these cabinets repainted. I need the, you know, the walls and the baseboards here. And I, I mean, I walked him through, you know, quite a bit of a, of a project but never once did he take measurements, not even, you know, a tape measure, let alone an electrical, you know, whatever. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the world are you estimating what this is going to cost? <laughs> right. And, and every consumer is thinking the same thing. They're known for just walking in, looking around and going 10 grand. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. And so what are you seeing today in terms of, you know, new technologies that are coming into play? what you guys are doing different to professionalize, you know, the, the construction industry? That, that's a really good question there, Austin, especially how you teed that up. And so I look at it, you know, same thing, you know, through social media, we can become aware of different products and softwares that are out there. And so wh what they call innovation, there, there's product out there and how do we use it or optimize it? You know, construction has been slow. Hey, this is how I've done it. So this is how I'm going to continue to do it. And we're trying to change that. Like, okay, you may have done it this way, but what if there's a better method, a better process, a better product out there? And so that continuing education, this is why I'm really big on our, not just myself, but our team attending conferences, right? Attending different shows that are happening, right? To see the new product that's out there. And because we've been fortunate to build these relationships with a lot of these big suppliers, you know, Cole or Pella, build a trend that's our online software and Sub-Zero Wolf. I mean, we're aware of a lot of these new products that are coming to market, but to that point specifically, it, it's really getting the right people on board. And so 
I just, we have a YouTube channel and we just did some filming this morning before I came in and we were showing Bluebeam. So Bluebeam is a software that most residential builders are probably not using. Most commercial guys are using. And we can layer and we can document things. And so what ends up happening is, especially in the residential world, is a lot of times we have a construction set of drawings. And yes, everything looks great on paper. You go to build it and well, you really can't build towards that because it doesn't, well, it's design doesn't work as you go from 2D to 3D and there's some logistics. And so things get changed and, you know, the as-builds aren't done like in commercial because it's not as regulated. And, you know, you may change the pool location or, you know, retainage basin of where the wiffle ball field is in the back. Well, that's not communicated to a civil guy. And so these balls get dropped. And so what we try to do, okay, well, how do we fix that? You know, Bluebeam is now where my field personnel can actually update the software. They can update pinpoints and elevations and everything we're changing. We can get that to the right parties, the landscape architect, and we can get it to our civil engineer and they can make those updates. Now we have a current set of drawings that are correct. Estimating is no different, right? Where we fell as contractors is we don't set clear expectations. It's really whimsical. It's just open-ended. I'll get your price when I get it. I don't really have any process. So whether you're a contractor or any small business owners, the, the, there's two things that employees need. One, and this is really, I stole this from Disney, so it's not like it's my, <laughs> my information, but Disney, you know, they're really slow to hire, quick to fire, okay? But, the, but their whole methodology is that when their employees understand, they believe in the brand, so they believe in, you know, working at the Disney park, so that's part of it. They have to believe in the company. And then the second thing is they have to have a very clear understanding of their role. Like they have to have a clear understanding of what their job specifics are. So if people can come to work and they know what they have to do, their scope of work to be successful and they believe in the company, like you've won, like you're going to win that company culture battle. Now, how that integrates into the company side is, okay, well, we understand that aspect from the employee retention side. But now I have to have protocol as a company that when that first lead comes in, when Austin calls me and says, hey, Brad, I want to do a remodel or I want to do a new custom home. I have to document that same scope of work internally from that initial vetting phone call till completion, whatever that is. Where's that baton go? How's it handed? How does it go through my funnel, through all my personnel in my company? What's my role? And this is something that's taken me time as a business owner. You know, off air, I was asked just as we're prepping and it took me six, seven years of my company to really understand that aspect and to have the right people that create those systems, that create those SOP, those operating procedures. Now, when Austin calls, my personnel's trained, my sales team is trained that we go out there and we're not just, okay, just looking around, taking some notes. Like we're very calculated on what needs to be done so that we can communicate the process, the timing, the schedule to when you're going to be done. And more importantly, what that cost will be. I love that. And I am, I'm a huge process guy. So the, the, the more you can have it documented and clear expectations, what everybody should be doing and everything. Documenting it's the easy part, writing it down and saying what, what, what's everything. Getting people to actually do it is, is the harder part. And that, a lot of that is the culture you create around accountability, about following up, about communication and whatnot. I got to say, Brad, you don't sound like a lot of the construction guys I've talked to. It sounds like you have done a great job of building culture. So talk a little bit about the culture at your company and, and what you did to kind of drive that culture. Yeah. Another good question. Again, it, it takes time, right? You know, I think fortunately haven't been in the industry and, uh, you know, worked for other companies, you know, before starting my own, it gave me some good experience of my managers did this. I really liked, they did this. I didn't like so much, right. Yeah. How I was treated. So, okay. How can I change that as a business owner? But you know, now when you get into the accountability side, how do we create a culture where people look, the reality is construction is an extremely difficult business. It's very hard to manage people. It's hard to manage unreliable 
trade partners and suppliers at times, right? That aren't good communicators are calling us back even. And so, and at times clients can be tough. And sometimes it's because we haven't set clear expectations. Sometimes it's because our processes aren't dialed in. And sometimes the client's unrealistic. And whatever that may be, there's a lot of times a little bit of both. And so what I try to do is, okay, what, what's the outlet? How can we make our employees where they're, they're dealing with the stress outside that? How can we soften that? Okay, we do lunch every day as a company. We, you know, depending on what part of town and where, you know, we collaborate a lot as a team. You know, we have group text chains. We go out and we have group text. We have group activities. We're going out and we're doing the go-kart racing. You know, something that's kind of fun is this Friday, if you're following us on social media, uh, I'm taking them to get pedicures, right? All my male and female <laughs> staff, we're going to go get, we're taking them to the nail salon. We're all getting like pedicures. And, and so it's these little things where you have these bonding moments. And so we have a lot of fun outside of work. We have a lot of fun in work. And then I think what's really important is setting healthy boundaries with our clients that look, our, our team's working really hard. They're great communicators. They're always available, but they're not me. At the end of the day, like I'm available 24 seven, but 5 p.m., 6 p.m., you know, they're not going to respond to every text and email. They're going to have weekends off. They need that. They need to recharge that. And so by me setting that expectation with the client now, it, it's a little breath of fresh air for them. They can choose to respond if they want, but they have a little grace there, if you will. And so it's not just one thing. I think it's a lot of things is bringing the right people on, setting those expectations. And then, hey, the reality is we do have a lot of fun and we have a lot of funny memes and tech chains and we just have a good time together. And so it's that constant daily, you know, communication. And then more importantly, going back to social media, which I've seemed like I've been beating this whole time is that <laughs> the social media side, they get to see their projects take life. They get to see the excitement in the comments, right, from our network and clientele as they're commenting. And so it gives them life every day as they're maybe fighting the drag of that week of, I don't want to say lack of motivation, but just dealing with business. It's hard. And now they get to see their posts and see, you know, just that uh, edification of those comments. Yeah. So you, you kind of, you glossed over this real quick. So I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit. And that is the aspect of subcontractors, right? You guys work with other tradespeople that really are their own bosses. They own their own businesses. And so it's one thing to have that kind of culture and, and make sure that that happens inside of your business. But the hardest part in my estimation in being in the construction industry, and I, I grew up in the construction industry. My dad was a general con or was, was a stucco contractor. I owned a painting company at one point, actually. But the hardest part is as far as your client is concerned, it's you, mm -hmm. right? You're bringing in these tradespeople to do the things that need to be done for at each stage of the job. But this is, they hired a finer touch construction and it's up to you to make sure you've got the proper people in there doing the job the right way, treating the job site and your clients the right way. So how do you, how do you extend that to your subcontracting partners as well? It's so well stated because the reality is as a general contractor, like I'm on the hook, whether it's not my fault or not, I'm responsible at the end of the day. And so Going back to the employee side, and then I'll answer the subcontractor side. So the other thing we do is we meet as a company a couple of times a month, our production meetings, and we do have essentially like an audit. As we make mistakes, we're accountable, right? And we share that. And my team's very open to say, I made this mistake, and we're hoping no one else makes that. Now, how do we implement that? So in this meeting that we had, you know, one of my project managers said, hey, in my commercial background that he worked extensively, and he said, we do what's called pool plan, P-U-L-L. -L, and it's really a methodology and scheduling where when you're sequencing just for a quick conversation here, if you're building a high rise or a vertical hotel, you have to sequence that. You can't just wait till one whole thing's done and then the next one comes in. Like you have to stage people because otherwise they'll never finish. So the pool plan is really very inclusive of the trade partners. They come in, they're involved in scheduling and manpower commitments. And so all the subcontractors in a room. So we're like, okay, why don't we take that same methodology and do it in residential, which no one's doing. 
So now I'm calling my owners of all my trade partners saying, hey, we're doing a pool plan meeting. And they're like, what's that? Well, come in and you'll see. So they come in, they sit down in the conference room and I set the expectation. Hey, the reason you're here is that instead of me just building a schedule saying, Austin and Gary, you have to be there at this date, you're actually making commitments with each other and me. Mm-hmm. Actually, here's what's realistic that I can do. Here's what the duration is, but I can't finish this scope till this is done and this is done, especially on a hillside, very complicated lot. There's sequencing, right? So now my goal is to say, awesome, my goal of you being here, you're investing some time today, but this is going to make you and your company more profitable because my schedule now was built by you and me and it's collaborative. And now when I bring you out here, we're ready that you're not wasting time and trip charges and multiple, you know, phone calls and my superintendent yelling at you because you're not here. And so if we can create this process where it's collaborative now with these pool plans, what's amazing is feedback. I was just with our pool contractor and he said, he was in his mastermind group and he said, what I love about working with AFT is now Brad does these pool plans. And so I know when he's ready when he's ready. And it's allowed me as a business to stage my manpower, be more profitable. And then I know that AFT is on top of it. And so now it goes back to my reputation is only as good as my trade partners. But if I could create value for them through that scheduling and contracting process, then now they're vested and they're part of this. And they feel a little bit more accountable, at least what's been told to me, right, than my competitors. So. Well, if it's their idea, it's always a good idea. If it's their commitment, it's always a good their yeah. good commitment. So I love it. I love the way you talk about a lot of your business systems, a lot of the the culture stuff that you've been doing. A lot of that is you don't learn that out of a textbook at college. So how did you develop kind of your your management system, your leadership style? Where did that come from? Another great question. So fortunately, um, there's a mentor of mine, a builder. And what's funny is I was coming up through the building trades. None of the other builders wanted to help me out very much, you know, being a young guy here. <laughs> but there's one builder in particular, and I'll give him credit, Rod Collum. He's Collum Holmes in Scottsdale. And he put his arm around me and he said, hey, Brad, like I believe in what you're doing and really what you're trying to pursue here and make some some big changes, you know, not just locally, but nationally in our industry. And he said, you need to get part of a Builder 20. And this goes to the event I'm hosting next fall. And so Builder 20, what it is, and I, this is really important because I know a lot of small business owners all around are in these similar mastermind groups. And what it is, is essentially there's 20 builders that are similar scope to me that do similar volume, similar scope of work, and they build in non-compete areas. So they build in all regions of the country and we meet twice a year. And, and the whole point is twice a year for three days and we sign NDAs and it's a full audit. So I'm sharing all my financials, like everything, what I'm making, what I'm charging, all my processes what I'm paying each employee, what my burden rate is. I mean, just, you know, what, what I'm paying on cell phone bills. And then here's my scheduling. And really what ends up happening is twice a year, I meet with these builders at their location. And your audit, you're standing around 20 builders that are looking at you saying, Brad, you're doing this wrong. You're doing this wrong. You need to fix this. You need to fix this. In fact, going back to the operating procedure, my first meeting, there was a builder. He's in his late 60s. He's been building for 40 years. He's at his company. He said, Brad, I'm going to send you this SOP manual I've built for 40 years, 185 pages of like documents, just sends it to me. And I'm like, do you know how much this would cost me and how much time it'd take, you know, being this younger guy? So I'm like, okay, I can help you guys with marketing and video content and like the social media strategies. And then you help me in the business side. So to that point, it's just being very active of, you know, in all these conferences and thought leadership and any opportunity I can to increase that education. And it's not just you know, one thing I think a lot of us make the mistake is just networking in an industry. But what I found is as I network outside of my industry, there's a lot of businesses that are doing really smart things and have different processes and cultures. How can I implement that and really 
just kind of cherry pick. This is a good idea. That's a great system. That's a good idea. Yeah. Now let's implement that here at AFT. Yeah, I think so. Now you're speaking my language. I'm a, I'm a huge I'm a huge proponent of mastermind groups, and and you yeah. actually made a point that I was just about to make, and that's the fact that too many people get in their own industry mastermind groups and they don't participate in other groups outside of their industry, right? Because if you do that, you're you don't know what you don't know, right? There are other people in you know I would Larry or Larry <laughs> Gary and I are both in what I would call the knowledge for profit industry, right? We, we get paid for our knowledge and our expertise and we, you know, we provide advice. That's literally what we do. Our perspective on things is going to be different than yours because we don't build anything. I mean, literally, I, I can't take my family and say, I, I built this restaurant, <laughs> right? right? Or we're staying in a hotel that, that, you know, that dad built. But my perspectives are different. And on top of that, I work with multiple construction companies in my business. I work with multiple companies in other industries. And so I'm getting that perspective that I then bring to that mastermind group. And so I think it's just so key. Every business owner, regardless of which one you choose, and there are a bunch of them out there, you need to participate in mastermind groups because there they're truly are the only people in those mastermind groups, or excuse me, the people in those mastermind groups are the only people who truly understand what it is that you're going through as a business owner. Your spouse doesn't truly understand it. Your your employees don't truly understand it. And you have an opportunity to be 100% vulnerable, 100% open and get feedback that's completely unbiased from other members of your mastermind group. I couldn't agree with that more often. And I just remember when I got in one of my my groups, I'm sitting there, I'm walking in there and we, so we're sales consulting, right? And I walk in there and there's somebody who, does school buses. They bring children to school. I'm going, what am I going to learn from that person? And then I'm looking and there's somebody in construction. They do drywall and paint. And then there's somebody who does security. I'm like, they know nothing about my business. And how are they possibly going to help me? But that's not the stuff that comes up. It's leadership issues. It's conflict. It's shortages. It's what do I do? And, And those are all common among whatever business you have. So I, I'm a big believer too. I, these mastermind groups or peer groups or whatever, they are just invaluable in, in what they can provide you to help you mature as a leader. Yeah, and I think to add to that, Gary, I mean, even not only networking with what you and Austin said with other masterminds in our communities and learning from them, even even not just supply chain and sales and all these different aspects, but even marketing. I, I'll give a little example here. I mean, one of my clients, in fact, the one who said, you know, saving marriages one house at a time, He's like one of the top cosme- uh, cosmetic dentists in the country. Like he trains dentists all over the world how to do cosmetic dentistry. And he's really created an issue. And he's worked for a lot of professional athletes that fly in from all over the country. And what he's done, I didn't know what an emotional journey was. And he said, Brad, from a marketing side, you have to create an emotional journey. Like this is, this is what connects you, why people want to hire you and come to you. And what he does, it's genius. Like in his office, he has this plaque that says building confidence, right? That's what is building confidence. And then he shows that emotional journey. He shows a lady that ha- would never smile at a wedding or a birthday because she's really self-conscious about her smile. And then she's she's buying her plane ticket. You know, she's flying there. She's taking the selfie there in front of building confidence. She has a procedure done, gets her veneers on. And now here she is at her wedding or, you know, this special event. There's a huge smile. And so it connects people like, well, I want that. Like, I want to be happy. I want, you know, this is solving my insecurity here. And so it just connects with you the way he markets that. And I'm like, well, that's brilliant, right? What, same thing from my side. Well, how can I be a thought leader in construction? Like it's a, 
It's a suck industry. I just really is. We were bad at communicating and all the stuff that we've been talking about. So if I can show, hey, here's how you communicate. Here's the systems. Here's like how we keep the site clean. And people know you care. Now it's like now we're vetting the ideal client, which is marketing 101, right? Understand your ideal client, how to market to them. And then now you've, you've really connected. So, Yeah, it makes me think of, of the phrase, you know, facts tell, stories sell, right? And, and that's the reality is no matter what industry it is that you're in, people buy on emotion. They want to know the information, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a numbers guy, and so I'm sharing information about the numbers and what we're going to accomplish and so forth. But they don't really care about that. What they care about is, is what you're talking about and wanting to put in, in place, is that going to get me to my goals and my dreams, yep. right? For you, it's, is it going to be the, the house of my dreams? Am I, do I envision myself sitting there with all of my kids and grandkids having a big meal together because Brad built me the best dining room that I could <laughs> ever imagine having? Dining room, kitchen combo, whatever, right? That's what they're envisioning. And you've got to be able to convey that story to them. Gary's got to do the exact same thing in everything that he does. And so that that's one of those that's, it's literally industry agnostic. Every single person out there, no matter what you do for a living, should be conveying emotion to the customers that you're trying to bring on. Completely spot on. I mean, that's the thing, as you mentioned, I mean, the dining room is a great example. Like I want to, you know, holidays, I want to gather with my family and my children and, you know, whoever maybe, especially with COVID, like we saw how COVID just changed everything. And people are looking now being stuck at home or like limited communication with people. Well, how do I change this? And that's why, you know, we see so many remodels and new construction, but the reality is they're, if, if you're showcasing that, then they're, they're going to come find you because you're connected to them emotionally. And the other thing I have to just kind of reiterate that you said earlier is on social media, sell a whole heck of a lot less educate or provide an experience, but don't, don't try to sell yourself on social media. It's, it's actually going to work against you. I, I love that you said that because <laughs> again, that's my biggest turnoff any, in any industry, but it, no matter the industry, look, the reality is I don't do a lot of mechanics, right? Or cars, but there's people that I watch on social media because they're like teaching me how to do it. I'm like, oh, that's super interesting. You know, I never thought yeah. I'd find that interesting, but now I'm watching that. And same thing, like to me, the nuance of construction, the day-to-day of building it's just something we do and we understand it. But my clients don't, you know, the public doesn't. And so if I can educate them or say, this is how you do this, here's the thought behind it. Not only are you creating these silent cells when we talked about this network, but it's great for the algorithm too, because people are watching, you know, they want to yeah. watch and it just helps build that, that reach. Yeah, no doubt. They, they want to know that you're a person, right? Not just a business owner. They want to see who you are and then they just, they just want to watch. You, you got to bring them in. And, and the moment you start selling somebody, most people just turn it off. It's a total turn off. And, and to that point, Austin, it's a really good point because I've just given a little bit about my Instagram strategy is that, you know, from Instagram, you know, Monday through Friday is very professional. It's like our projects, our, our Instagram reels, our video content, just everything here we do is building. Well, I can have fun now on the weekends because I'm with my family, my kids, you know, my daughter's graduating. So now I can post the emotional side, like the family side. So the people connect, they're like, well, he's a real person. I mean, we see the building side throughout the week, but then the family side. And so now all of us have some sense of privacy we want and we don't have to put anything out there, but there's a lot we can put out there that really will connect people that, hey, this is someone that, that I'm connecting with that I want to work with or have worked for me. I got to say, coming into this conversation, I, talking to somebody who has a construction business, I really didn't think I'd be hearing about algorithms and Instagram <laughs> and buyer journeys and whatnot. I love all the stuff that you're doing. This is awesome stuff. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. 
Anything you want to add at the at the end, Gary? Any last minute hard hitting questions as we close it out? I, I, I'm kind of curious where you're going. I, you built an awesome business. You you are very differentiated in your approach. Um, I love the marketing things you're going. So what's what's the ultimate thing? I mean, do you want to be a big national company? Are you cool where you're at? What's the growth strategy? Here? Uh, that's a really good question. So uh, we do have plans to expand in the future, but more importantly, I mean, we have our brand and culture here. But I think the thought leader aspect I really love. I love teaching. I love you know guiding the students. So actually. We just started what we call the Contractor Coalition Summit. So this is pretty neat. So we had our first event in Nashville. We had a lot of people reach out. Hey, Brad, can I shadow you? And we all know how that is. Like, we only have so much time. Like, so why can't we do a three-day conference? Just everything. Everything I've learned in 20 years, pricing, contracts, client expectations, marketing, all this. Here you go. We're going to just hammer you with this information. So we had this event in Nashville, sold out, had an amazing, just everyone in the first 40 minutes is like, Brad, we got our, money, our money's worth. And now in November, we're doing our second one in Huntington Beach. And so the continual education in our industry, which is much needed, is where I want to go. And so it'll never take away from what I'm doing at AFT and running our company, but it's just another avenue there to help build the industry as a whole nationally. That's awesome. All right. So last uh, opportunity for you, Brad, just tell our listeners how to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more. Yeah. So podcast you mentioned. So if you just go to any podcast platform, my podcast is the AFT Construction Podcast. And very similar, you know, it's, it's really driven to entrepreneurs, not just construction. And then all my social media channels are AFT Construction, stands for a finer touch. So Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn, AFT Construction, pretty simple. LinkedIn, probably the best way is Brad Levitt. They'll find me on LinkedIn. And then our website is AFTConstruction.com and on YouTube for all of our video content, AFT Construction. Awesome. Really appreciated the conversation. Thanks for coming in and spending some time with Gary and I. Loved it. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.